Somebody's Luggage, a collection of themed short stories by Charles Dickens and other writers. Eminent London headwaiter Mr. Christopher has discovered and purchased a mysterious set of luggage that had been abandoned by its owner in the private hotel and dining establishment where he works. In specific items of the luggage, there is a set of handwritten papers, each containing a story written by the luggage's owner, who is known only to Mr. Christopher as somebody. Episode 2. Discovered in his boots. The story of Mr. the Englishman Abroad by Charles Dickens. Eh? Well then, Monsieur Mutuel, what do I know? What can I say? I assure you that he calls himself Monsieur the Englishman. Pardon? But I think it is impossible. It is, my cherished Madame Bouclet, I think impossible. Eh? But it is not impossible that you are a pig. See then, look there, read. On the second floor, Monsieur Langlais, is not so? It is so. Good. Continue your morning walk. Get out. <laughs> the documentary evidence to which Madame Bouclet referred was the list of her lodgers posted up in the side of her gateway for the information of the police. Or seconde... Monsieur Langlais, propriétaire. On the second floor, Mr. the Englishman, man of the property. And so it stood. Nothing could be plainer. Ha! Madame Bouclet let out all her house overlooking the Grande Place in flats or floors and lived up the yard behind in company with her husband, Monsieur Bouclet, great at billiards, an inherited brewing business several fowls, two carts, a nephew, a little dog in a big kennel, a grapevine, a counting house, four horses, a married sister with a share in the brewing business, the husband and two children of the married sister, a parrot, a drum and fife, two billeted soldiers, a quantity of pigeons, a small fountain and half a dozen large sunflowers. In taking his apartment, the Englishman had given his name correctly to the letter as Langley, but as he had a British way of not opening his mouth very wide when on foreign soil, except at mealtimes, the locals had been able to make nothing of it but Langley. And so he remained. Bonjour, Monsieur Langley. Uh, bonjour, madame. <laughs> Never saw such people. Never did in my life. These chaps are no more like soldiers than... <laughs> what a swarm. From the Grande Place, where a few awkward squads from the last conscription were doing the goose step, and at every corner of the town wall, guardhouse, gateway, sentry box, drawbridge, reedy ditch and rushy dyke, the town was pretty well all soldiers. What would the sleepy old town have been without the soldiers? On market days alone, the town's Grande Place suddenly leapt out of bed. On market day, there instantly arose the liveliest bulls and stools, sittings and standings, and a lively hum of chaffering and huckstering from many hundreds of tongues, with a pleasant though peculiar blending of colours, 
white caps, blue blouses and green vegetables. And now, by long, low-lying avenues of trees and along the dikes, ditches and canals, in donkey cart, wagon and cabriolet, came peasant men and women in flocks, bringing their articles for sale. Boots and shoes, sweetmeats, milk and cream, butter and cheese, fruits, onions, carrots and all things for your soup. Here you had poultry, flowers and protesting pigs, and there, shoes, axes and spades. However, today was not one of the Grande Place's days for getting out of bed. These fellows are billeted everywhere about, making themselves generally useful in every sort of unmilitary way. It is most ridiculous. I never saw such a set of fellows. Never did in my life. There is Private Valentine in that very house, acting as sole housemaid, valet, cook, steward and nurse to the family of his captain, cleaning the floors, making the bed, and all with equal readiness. Or to go no further than next door, at the barber's, there is Corporal Teofield. No, no, he's not there at present. There's the child, though. Oh, I thought as much. The Corporal is there. A mere mite of a girl stood on the steps of the barber's shop looking across the place, dressed in a small white linen cap, which small French country children wear. She was looking intently for someone amongst the drilling soldiers. Dismiss! My darling Babel! <laughs> Come into the house! Look here, by George, he's a fool! Now, Mr. the Englishman had had a quarrel with his own disobedient and disowned daughter, and there was a child in that case, too. He had come abroad to be rid of his daughter for the rest of his life. But the windows of the House of Memory and the House of Mercy are not so easily closed as those made of glass and wood. They fly open unexpectedly. They rattle in the night, and they must be nailed up. But he had not yet quite driven the nails home. So he passed a disturbed evening and a worse night. So it came to pass that the corporal was not to be dismissed. Indeed, he could not have planted himself with more determined immovability, plump in the middle of the jealous and resentful Englishman's thoughts. Mr. the Englishman had but to look out of the window, to look upon the corporal with little Babel. He had but to go for a walk, and there was the corporal walking with Babel. He came home, and they were at home before him. If he looked out of his back windows early in the morning, the corporal was in the barber's backyard washing and dressing and brushing Babel. Always corporal, and always Babel. Never Babel without Corporal. He was not particularly strong in the French language as spoken. For this reason, Mr the Englishman had to gird up his loins considerably before he could bring himself to the point of exchanging ideas with Madame Bouclet on the subject of this Corporal and Babel as she looked in one morning. Mon Dieu, monsieur, I am in a state of desolation. The lamp maker has not sent me the lamp that I asked him to repair. He truly is a lamp maker against whom the whole world shrieks out. Madame, that baby. Pardon, monsieur. 
That lamp? No, 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 the, the little girl. But pardon, one cannot light uh, the little girl or send her to be repaired? The, the little girl at the house of the barber. Ah, little Babel. Yes, yes, yes. And her friend the corporal? Yes, 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 yes. So genteel of him, is it not? He is not. Not at all, not at all. He is not one of her relations, not at all. Why, then he... Perfectly, you are right, monsieur. It is so genteel of him. The less relation, the more genteel, as you say. Is she... The child of the barber? Not at all, not at all. She is the child of, in a word, no one. Well, the wife of the barber, then? Undoubtedly, as you say. The wife of the barber receives a small amount of money to take care of her. So much by the month. It is without doubt very little, for we are all poor here. Well, you are not poor, madame. As to my lodgers, no. As to all things else, so-so. You flatter me, madame. Monsieur, it is you who flatter me in living here. Um, does this mean that... Oh, no, monsieur, certainly not. The wife of the barber is not cruel to the poor child, but she is careless. Her health is delicate and she sits all day looking out of the window. Consequently, when the corporal first came, the poor little Babel was much neglected. It is a curious... Name? Name? That, Bebel? Again, you are right, monsieur, but it is a playful name for Gabrielle. And, and so the child is a mere fancy of the corporal's? Oh, well, one must love something. Human nature is weak. <laughs> Devilishly weak. And the corporal being billeted at the barber's, where he will probably remain a long time, for he is attached to the general, and finding the poor, unowned child in need of being loved... And finding himself in need of loving, why, there you have it all, you see. Now I must go. Au revoir. Au revoir, madame. I shouldn't mind it so much if these people were not so... sentimental. There was a cemetery outside the town, and it happened that Mr the Englishman took a walk there that afternoon. To be sure there were some wonderful things in it, and of a certainty in all Britain you would have found nothing like it. Not to mention the fanciful flourishes of hearts and crosses in wood and iron that were planted all over the place. There were so many wreaths upon the graves embroidered as they might be to mothers, daughters, fathers, brothers or sisters. There were so many little gardens or grottos made upon the graves with plants and shells and plaster figures and porcelain pictures and so many odds and ends. Nothing of the solemnity of death here. But these people are, by way of compensation, they are so sentimental. His way back led by the military training ground. There he passed the corporal instructing young soldiers in how to swing themselves over rapid and deep watercourses on their way to glory by means of a rope, with himself deftly plunging off a platform and flying 100 feet or two as an encouragement to them to begin. There he also passed the small Babel, with her round eyes wide open, surveying the proceedings like a wandering sort of blue and white bird. If that child was to die, 
and it would almost serve the fellow right for making such a fool of himself. I suppose we should have him sticking up a reef in that fantastical burying ground. Nevertheless, after another early morning or two of looking out of the window, he strolled down into the place when the corporal and Babel were walking there and touched his hat to the corporal. An immense achievement. Uh, Good day, corporal. Good day, monsieur. This is a rather pretty child you have here. Monsieur, she is a very pretty child. And good? (laughs) Very good. Poor little thing. (laughs) Monsieur Théophile, I believe. It is I, monsieur. Permit me, sir. The Englishman shook him heartily by the hand, turned and walked away, to be met by the pleased approval of old Monsieur Mutuel. Monsieur! Well, old walnut shell, and what business is it of yours? Mr. the Englishman spent many weeks of disturbed evenings and worse nights, constantly experiencing those windows in the houses of memory and mercy being rattled after dark. Likewise, he spent many weeks daily improving his acquaintance with the corporal and Babel. He took Babel by the chin and the corporal by the hand and offered Babel halfpennies and the corporal cigars. But he did it in a shamefaced way and always took it extremely ill that Monsieur Mutuel in his patch of sunlight should note what he did. In a word... It had become the occupation of Mr. the Englishman's life to look after the corporal and little Babel and to resent the old Monsieur Mutuel looking after him. This occupation only varied by a fire in the town one windy night and much passing of water buckets from hand to hand and beating of drums in which the Englishman rendered good service. Then all of a sudden, the corporal disappeared. Next, Babel disappeared. She had been visible a few days later than the corporal, sadly deteriorating as to washing and brushing. Babel? She did not speak, looked scared and ran away. In his shamefaced and constrained way, Mr. the Englishman asked no questions of anyone, but watched from his windows, lingered about the bare and barren Grand Place, peeping in at the barber's shop, with a whistling and humming pretense of not missing anything, until another encounter. Ah, it is sad. Alas, it is unhappy, it is sad. What business... At least, I would say, what do you mean, Monsieur Mutuel? Our corporal. Alas, our dear corporal. What has happened to him? You have not heard? No. At the fire. But he was so brave, so ready. Ah, too brave. May the devil carry you away. I, I, I beg your pardon. I'm not accustomed to speak French. Go on, will you? And a falling beam? Good. God, it was a private soldier who was killed. No, a corporal, the same corporal, our dear corporal. The funeral was touching, penetrating. What, what business? Monsieur the Englishman, I honor those emotions. I salute you with profound respect. Good day. I, I little thought that... 
when I was looking around that cemetery. I'll go there. He went straight there and, searching for the corporal's grave, went softly on, up and down, peering in among the crosses, hearts, columns, obelisks and tombstones. It troubled him now to think how many dead there were in the cemetery. I might suppose that everyone was dead but I. But not everyone was. A child was lying on the ground asleep. Truly he had found something on the corporal's grave to know it by, and that something was Babel. The dead soldier's comrades had worked lovingly on his resting place, and it was already a neat garden on which the child slept. Babel, my little one, you must not lie here. You must, you must come with me. We will go and seek Teofield. We will go and look for him in England. Hmm? We will go and look for him at my daughter's, Babel. Shall we find him? We shall find the best part of him there. Come with me, my poor forlorn little one. Heaven is my witness, Corporal Teofield, that I thankfully accept this trust. In his arms, she was soon asleep again. It was a long way for a child to have come alone. He looked at her worn shoes, her galled feet and tired face, and believed that she had come there every day. In leaving the corporal's resting place, he stopped, looking down wistfully at it and the other graves around. I think I should like to do it. No one is looking. He repaired to the lodge, where little tokens of remembrance were sold and bought two reeves one blue, white and glistening silver, the other a more sober red, black and yellow, both with the words, To my friend. With these, he went back to the grave and, with the brighter wreath, he guided the child's hand to hang it on the grave's cross before hanging his own wreath there. Mr. the Englishman took it very ill when he looked around the street corner into the Grande Place, carrying Babel in his arms, that old Monsieur Mutuel should be there airing his red ribbon. He took a world of pains to dodge the worthy Mutuel, skulking into his own lodging like a man pursued by justice. Safely, arrived there at last, he made Babel's toilet as he had often seen the corporal make it gave her to eat and drink, and put her to bed. Slipping out into the barber's shop, he came back again with the whole of the child's meagre personal property, after a brief interview with the barber's wife, and recourse to his purse and card case. As it was irreconcilable with his whole course and character that he should carry Babel off in state, or receive any compliments or congratulations, he devoted the next day to getting his two portmanteaus out of the house by artfulness and stealth. He paid his few debts in town and prepared a letter for Madame Bouclet, enclosing a sufficient sum of money in lieu of notice. A train would come through at midnight, by which he would take Babel to look for Théophile in England at his forgiven daughter's. All went prosperously, and he got into an empty carriage where he could lay Babel on the seat. He had just leaned back in his own seat when he became aware of a curious appearance at the window. A 
ghostly little tin box floating up in the moonlight and hovering there. What the? He leaned forward and put out his hand. Excuse me, Monsieur the Englishman. Monsieur Mutuel. It is I. I shall reverence this little box forever if your so generous hand would take a pinch of snuff from it at parting. <laughs> Adieu, God bless you. Mr. the Englishman, God bless you. And Mr. the Englishman, and God will bless you in the happiness of the protected child now with you, in your own childhood home, and in your own remembrances. And this from me. He had barely time to catch a bouquet from her hand before the train was flying through the night. Round the paper that enfolded it was bravely written, Homage to the friend of the friendless. Not bad people, Babelle. Though they are so... sentimental... In the next episode of Somebody's Luggage, we will take to the high seas and the amazing story of shipwreck on an iceberg. The story of Missa the Englishman Abroad, episode two of Somebody's Luggage, featured the considerable talents of Lisa Nightingale as the narrator and Mike Ravano as Langley, the Englishman. S.J. Vant was Madame Bouclet, Jim Newberry filled in as Corporal Théophile, and Mike Ayres inhabited Monsieur Mutuel. The episode was adapted, produced and directed by Jim Newberry, with all sound engineering effects provided by the technical skill of Mr. Robbie Burgess. It is a joint venture between Revenge FM and Uptick Productions. <laughs>